Hey, this is Jeff Blackburn, and welcome to the latest edition of Fearless Questions. Today, our guest is um, author, uh, speaker, and as I, as far as I know, a fellow former professional religious person, Wayne Jacobson. Wow. <laughs> Wayne, how you how you doing? I, I I was doing okay until that introduction. <laughs> True <Yeah>. enough. <laughs> well, um, just to uh, just so people might know a little bit of. Um, of how uh, I found out who you were a few years ago. Uh, my wife Jody and I were were living in the UK, and we had some good friends back here in the states that mentioned a podcast they listened to called The God Journey. Um, I thought, you know, it sounds a little hippie-ish, but uh, okay, I'll give it a go. And um, so the podcast that you know was this ongoing conversation about a, and this is my take. You could correct this if you want to, but it was this ongoing conversation about a relational way of talking about God, like words like freedom got used a lot, and uh, we were intrigued. So kind of listened on and off. We got back to the States. Um, A couple years later, Jody and I, she invited me to read a book with her out loud, which we never do, but we would sit on the porch and we read the uh, one of your books, So You Don't Want to Go to Church Anymore. And uh, I had avoided this book for a while because I thought it was a research book. Um, but turns out it was it was just a really easy to read, fun story that uh, I mean we just we would stop after each chapter and just look at each other and like what are we reading right now? This is crazy! Like because it was just resonating with our our own journey. And so and out of that, I think uh, maybe I first reached out to you and we started kind of a slow conversation. Uh, and then you know fun things popped up along the way. You you actually introduced me to people all the way here in Indiana and from California and our friend, mutual friend, Derek, and some of what he's got going on with lives transforming and counseling practice that he's got. And he's yep. an author as well. I've used some of his materials and training I do and fearless questions and just cool stuff. And, um, so that's kind of uh, how I've connected with you, but, um, you know, you live in this space where you you talk a lot about knowing you're loved by God um, and it seems like a simple statement, but it also seems to mean a lot more to you. So, so how did you end up on this journey? You seem to be on these days, this relational living love by God deal. People ask me how I end up here and I always say, you know, I came kicking and screaming. Yeah. Um, this was not the choice that I had for my life or the vision or the desires I had, but there, there was a, a time in my life, I always was comfortable with the language that God loves me. I use it, shared it all the time, but hadn't a clue what it meant and didn't realize that while I was talking about God's love, I honestly thought the only way I get that is when I earn it, when I'm good enough, work hard enough, perform well enough, then God loves me and then I get that bit of love. And so when suffering or trouble hits, that's pretty well proof that you're not doing enough because God's letting bad things into your life. And I grew up 42 years that way, a very conflicted, very frustrating. There are moments when I think I'm doing well, that I feel loved, and I feel like God's near, and God's been good to me. Uh, but most of my life is the frustrations of things aren't going the way I hoped they would go. Uh, obviously, God's upset at me. Obviously, I've got to try harder. And that leads to a whole lot of frustration and angst. Mm. I was about 42, that, I, and I didn't plan on getting kicked off this road. Uh, <laughs> I, I was doing well. I just thought we had to fine-tune some things, make it a little bit better. But my best friend, co-pastor, announced my resignation one Sunday morning to the church I helped plant while I was out of town <laughs> speaking somewhere else. How kind of him. 
<laughs> yeah, really. That and that launched us on a very different trajectory. Now, we, you know, I, I came back to fix that. I had the power, the authority, the affection of the people. I could have exposed the lie and gone on from there. But before we could get around to another Sunday where uh, we could meet with the people and take them on a different direction, I felt like the Holy Spirit had put in my heart, I have more to teach you if you walk away than if you stay. Hmm. And I had no idea what that meant, and I struggled with it. My wife was much more jumping on that page quicker than I was. I was like, I don't want this to be God. She did. She was sick of the whole pastor's wife thing, the political dramas going on in the fellowship, the backbiting and gossip and conversation. She was tired of all of that. I was still, we can fix this. We can, we need a better way to surrender to Jesus together. And, you know, but there were people in love with power in a way that I, I, I don't get into. And mm. so we ended up walking away and walking away without a statement, without a letter to clarify, without, you know, telling people that you're being lied to. We just, when it came right down to it, I just felt like I have more to teach you. And I remember when I first heard that, my arrogant, Pharisee response at that point in my life was, what more do I have to learn about God? I mean, at 42, <laughs> I thought I pretty well knew it all. Yeah. And uh, so I even had that response of, I don't know what more I need to learn. I'm traveling the world. I'm helping people live out something I think is pretty valuable. But it was all a human systemed way of doing church differently, but it didn't have this relational living love ethic in it. And uh so we got kicked out of that, the betrayal of that, the pain of that, the being kicked mm. off salary, income, health insurance, friendships. I mean, it was everything we lost. Yeah. And yet God, and we still lived in that town for five years after that. But God began to, over the next six, eight months, kind of draw me into a different space. It began with some teaching on the cross, a different view of the atonement than I had. It made God the father and endearing character in the story, not the angry judge that needed to be sated by this bloodletting of his son. And it began to shift things in my heart. And it took two years probably to get off that religion track and get more into a relational one. Uh, and that was over 20 years ago now. We've had 20 years of living differently and uh, love it. Love the space we landed in. But I, I didn't volunteer for this. <laughs> yeah. Other than probably those really stupid prayers that God, whatever it takes, I want to know you. And God says, okay, you want to do that? Let's get there. So, Well, two two que questions real quick. One, one uh, more technical. You used the word atonement. And by that, you meant a different understanding of, just for our listeners, you're talking about just how you understand how you connect with God. No, by atonement, I'd say what happened on the cross between a father and a son that okay. affected our redemption. Yeah. Okay, great. And then the more on a more everyday level, you talked yeah. about living in the same town for five years. I mean, did that make for some pretty awkward moments in the grocery store? I mean, when you run into people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> people that I've been through cancer with or helped save their marriage or, you know, ah. people I've been deeply involved with would see me across the store and take off the other way. But I, I'm not often in stores, so that affected my wife far more than okay. me. I, okay. Sarah does my shopping. I'm not, I hate to admit that, but she does, and she does a good job of it. So, okay. But around town, definitely it fractured that community. I mean, a lot of people left. A lot of people stayed. People chose sides. It felt like, because he was my co-pastor, it felt like there was a divorce. Mm. So you've got to hate one and love the other. And it was some really ugly dynamics for quite a while. Oh, man, that sounds brutal, actually. It was. Um now, you said you took this step out. One time I, th I heard you say, take a step out. The other time it was sort of like, wait, what are we doing? I mean, you you feel this like, man, I don't want to fight this. But was this a blind step or was this were you were you already starting to 
to feel like you were hearing God drawing you into something else already? Or was this, I know you said you didn't plan on it, but, you know, was this, were you pretty much like, man, God, what's going on right now? Or were you feeling confident about what was next? Or No, I think I was always, I go back to that season of my life, there's always this frustration. When I was a staff pastor, it was like the senior pastor's fault that we weren't really getting there, wherever there is. Mm-hmm. And then when I was like co-pastor, you know, coordinating pastor of this group, then it was always the people's fault because they wouldn't come along enough. And it was, I mean, there was always frustration, mm. but I thought with just finding our way into the right way of doing it, that's how I would have thought about it. And I think we were getting closer at times. And so we had some, we had some plans, but overall, there are also things stirring in my heart, other things God was asking me to do. So it wasn't a total shock when that all ended. It was, there were some, I was doing some consulting with public school districts at the time and I had some writing I wanted to do and some more travel. So the plan was to me kind of phase out of being a paid staff member at that fellowship, but still being on the eldering team and still being respected and loved and all that good stuff. So it wasn't a total blind side. Um, the relationship was. I think my co-pastor and I, we'd agreed when we became, I was senior pastor, he was an associate. Mm-hmm. We agreed when we came to that time that uh, we would not ever move independently of the other, that we would have to agree on everything. We gave up the right to move unilaterally. So okay. him doing this was a real shock. We were having some relational stresses and we were trying to work them out. Right. So when he did it, though, yeah, it was a it was a big shock and a personal betrayal that hurt hurt very deeply. Oh, so sorry, man. That's uh, yeah, that's uh, it seems like uh, some of those deepest wounds do come from inside of religious communities sometimes, where you think it's going to be the safest. Sometimes it it ends up being the most painful painful relationships. Ironically. It does. And I, David's words from one of the Psalms where he talks about, you know, if it was you, my enemy, who did this to me, I would understand. But it was you, my friend, my close friend with whom we walked in the courts of the Lord. I read that going, yeah, I get that. I, you know, Jesus tasted that. David tasted that. And sometimes we get to taste that, too. Yeah, man. Well, you, you know, like you said, uh, it wasn't the plan necessarily, but you step out and then you you said you were on 42 at the time. And you what what did you end up doing at that point? You were doing some some uh, peacemaking, bridge building between people, but you started writing at the same time. Is that what I understand? I've been writing before, but frustrated that pastoral demands didn't give me much opportunity to write. That's why we were going to trust God to do finances a bit differently and step away at some point. We never got to that point. Um, But yeah, I mean, my first thought was I'm going to get a real job. I'd love to get a real (laughs) job. I'm tired of living off people's generosity. I, I would just love to, you know, go to work. And part of that was consulting uh, hopefully, uh, you know, a book would catch on. But I was real open to getting some kind of journalistic job or something that I could turn my writing into something valuable or mm-hmm. teaching, doing it, administrative work or, you know, doing training for a business or something. But uh, God just kept nudging me away from that. I'd, I'd look at things. I'd go to interviews. And I just feel like God's saying, I didn't ask you to do this. I didn't ask you to do this. I'm going, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do for income? And mm-hmm. how do I be responsible about that? And growing up on a farm, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, infected with the Puritan work ethic. So okay. Okay. this is a real struggle for me. But God's just saying, I'm going to take care of you. Just keep following me. And that's a, that's not something I recommend other people do unless you're really sure God said that to you. But um, that's what we end up doing. We just kept end up doing the things God asked us to do, and through some really freaky ways, God kept paying the bills by the end of the month. So, yeah, because what you're talking about, I mean, I I think the average person would call it crazy. Basically, I mean, what they would say it just nonsensical almost. But um, I did. 
<laughs> and my wife did. <laughs> Were you guys on the same page back then on this? Uh, same chapter, we always say. Not necessarily the same page. Some, okay. some, some parts of this, Sarah's a little further down the road than me. Other parts, uh, I was a little further down the road than her. So okay. she was much more ready to leave than I was. I was much more ready to trust God for finances than she was. So Okay. Well, you, yeah. talk, you talked about, um, you know, feeling like God was nudging you towards something kind of – so you kind of alluded to this beginning of hearing God's voice. Um, I mean, is there a way you would, how would you describe that to people who are saying, how do I know when I'm hearing from God or if it's just, you know, my own desires or that's a dynamic. I don't think that many people can fully grasp. I'm wondering if you have any, what your experience was like early on with that. Yeah. And you never, you never know for sure. I think that's what people most, I I need to know, is this me or God? And the Mm -hmm. only way you're going to know is by doing it. Getting out there and say, okay, the best I know, this seems to be God, so I'm going to take a step. And then you look at the fruit of it. And there's, for me, I like the expression, a growing conviction over time. That's how I seem to settle on, I think this is what God's saying to me. I don't I don't sit down with God and have conversations where, hey, God, what do you think about this? I think of that. And, you know, it's not that. It's this, I keep things before Father. I keep things before Him. I'm praying about things, things I've got questions about, concerns about, fears about. I just keep holding them before him. God, what are we doing here? Is there anything you want to share with me? And then I live my life out of the desires that God gives me, out of listening to things that he might be nudging me toward. And as, as a lot of people say, I feel nudged towards something when I feel like I should make a decision that is not in my self-interest. Because mm. otherwise, I'm going to make in, I'm going to make decisions in my self-interest. The things that disturb right. me most is that, conscience, uh, growing conviction over time. It's that nudge inside that even though I want to do this, I'm feeling like this is what I probably need to be doing. Hmm. And so I just identify that over time. And I don't usually do things quickly. Most things I thought was God speaking to me and you jump right in and do it turn out to be Wayne. Things that God's actually saying to us, they'll grow over a few days. You don't have to jump to something right away most times. You get a chance to let it season, and things that result from too much pizza or a bad dream, <laughs> they'll be gone in a couple of days. You won't even think about it again. But mm. things that God's letting grow in your heart oftentimes, and I don't get it right all the time. I, I, you know, I think that's, that's a mistaken notion that we're bright enough to get this right all the time. We're really not. We're trying to look into things that we're sensing with our spiritual ears and spiritual eyes. And so we're just going to, okay, so this is the best sense I have of it. Let me go. And if it's wrong, I don't mind turning around and telling people, hey, I'm sorry, I missed that. And so that hasn't been a deterrent for you, just realizing you're not always going to get it right. That's um, because I do think that's how some have operated. It's like I'm so afraid of, of misinterpreting something that I'm never going to do. I'm never going to operate like, oh, I think I heard God say something to me. Um, you just kind of kept pressing forward with that. Yeah, and I think one of the things that really helped me, somebody shared this with me a long time ago, the things where God's teaching us to listen to him, they're not in big things like starting a worldwide ministry or you know telling somebody they need to give you $1,000 to support what you're doing. Yeah. Where God teaches us is walking by a sink full of dishes and God nudging us to do them so that our, our particularly if our wife's behind, if that's normally her job, in some homes I realize it's not much anymore. Mine it's not. Now, you know, we're, or, it's, or it's pulling out the vacuum and vacuuming the floor. It's looking for ways to serve. That's where God's going to nudge us into listening. Again, against our self-interest <laughs> and in light of his and in light of serving or loving someone else. So it's not the big things that we need to learn on. It's really the simple things. Hmm. Hmm. Well, help me out still because I, I, 
I hear you get kind of um, nudged out of being a pastor, um, and then you start writing. But that's, I mean, how long have you been on that journey since? I mean, you started writing, obviously, and I, I mean, you've had a number of different books, some some well-known, some really well-known, obviously. Um, and then, you know, was it, did people just start connecting with you? I mean, how, it seems like a strange journey to be on. I'm still, I mean, I'm a, I'm a God person myself and I'm thinking who, what is this God journey stuff? Like, how does that take shape? Yeah. The God journey stuff is a term. It's just people learning to live inside his affection and live out of that affection toward other people. It's what Jesus said about love one another as I've loved you. That's that's what I hope the God journey is. Most people aren't going to follow the specific track that, that I'm on. Um, I, like you said, I was a writer before. I had a couple books out. I was a contributing editor at Leadership Journal. I had some reputation. Uh, not all that good, but I had some reputation <laughs> in for writing. And uh, two books out of print. When I got kicked off the, out of that fellowship, I had two bo- the two books I had written were out of print, so I wasn't a successful author with lots of income to back up on. <laughs> okay. um, but it was just, I, I feel, I'm a communicator. I feel like God's asked me to communicate things in the world. I mostly enjoy doing that person to person. But writing or podcasting or internet stuff, that, there are ways that we can further that and give information to people. But I think the main way that God wants us to connect with people is through relationships and people Sarah and I invite into our home and impact and love. And so, I mean, that that journey for us now has been about 22 years Hmm. of uh, most of it is engaging people personally. Some of it is I write and do a podcast to encourage people that I'm never going to actually get to sit down and know. Hmm. And sometimes because I've written, I'm going to get to know people that I wouldn't have otherwise gotten to know because they read it and they've contacted me like you and your wife did and said, Hmm. hey, can we hang out sometime? And you know people in our area. So, I mean, I try and help with that as much as I can. Hmm. Well, fun. Well, you know, nowadays I know – uh, your latest book, um, Finding Church, um, I read. And I I really enjoyed it, but it's um. So I know a little bit about where you're coming from on this, but it does seem like there are more and more people leaving church, um, and they're still. Int- but it seems like they're still interested in God, and I'm just wondering, um, kind of what trends you've been seeing with this, and just what you would say to that person who's saying, you know, is it possible to be in love with Jesus and and not the church? <laughs> And it all depends on what we mean by church. I mean, I always react to that kind of terminology because church in Scripture is an endearing word. It's the bride of Christ. It's something, some. It, it's what God loves and is preparing for his son. And so I, I, I like to keep using the term church in the most endearing way possible. But I realize there are these institutions we've come to call church. And I, I think, unfortunately, they've co-opted that term. So when a lot of people say, I hate the church— they really don't mean the church Jesus is building. They mean yeah. the religious institutions that hurt me or wasted my time or sucked me into some kind of legalistic thing. They mean all that. Okay. So I, I get that. I, I But to answer the question, can we love Jesus and not love his church? You can't love Jesus and not be part of the church. So you're saying, can I love Jesus and hate myself? And that's when you use church that way, mm. it seems weird. I think I want yeah. people to love the church. I do. I don't have much hope that our corporate representations of what we call the church are very effective or very helpful. And I understand why people say, you know what, that's not church for me anymore. And I get it. I mean, we made that decision 22 years ago, not not intentionally. When I got kicked out of that thing, 
<laughs> had a lot of I had a lot of pastor job offers. I could go pastor, and I just you know I'm kind of done with that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing was, but I thought I'd find myself back in that in some day because in my view that's the only thing we identify as the church. So if that mm-hmm. is the church scripture talks about. I'm going to find my way back in that some point. Because but we that, never did. Okay, because at the time that was the one place where if you were really committed and wanting to be a, a you know, a fully committed God follower, you were going to be a full time professional Christian. Yeah, not necessarily full time, but I'm going to join one of them. I'm going to be okay. part of a local community of believers, okay. and I only knew those to be the ones that had names in the newspaper and marquees out in front of their buildings, and that's how I only knew that those relationships were valid. We came to discover over the next few years that we had better relationships, better connections, better growth opportunities by not creating those structures, by enjoying a growing informal network of brothers and sisters who didn't want to get into the whole, let's form a church and get a board and collect offerings and have a weekly meeting. And and then we found church to be a vibrant expression. And I'm not saying that, that one is right and the other is wrong. I, people who want to meet on Sundays and gather in buildings and have all that corporate political stuff and navigate it, mm-hmm. God bless you. If it's helping your journey, God bless you. Go for it. But there's a, there, half the people have said, that doesn't work for me. and They're not going there anymore. Mm-hmm. And can we help them find ways to experience the life of the church and the life of Jesus in a way that's not so fraught with manipulation and control and political intrigue. And and mm. we can. Yeah, I've seen people experience the life of the church without the building and the political entity all the time. And I, I in fact, I, I find I love not wasting the time or money on the <laughs> buildings and the programs. Let's just be God's people together and celebrate that. Yeah, there is a, a lot of money being thrown at buildings, that's for sure. Um, what... Uh, you know, I mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but when when you're looking at the folks that are walking away, is this are we talking thousands? Are we talking millions of people in the research you've looked at? Or yeah, I'm- the latest research I know is done by Josh Packard, wrote a book called Church Refugees, and they did the quantitative study on how many people have left. And the statistics come out like this: sixty-seven million people in the last twenty used to be part. Not, there wasn't a time limit on that. Used to be part of a fellowship, but aren't anymore. Sixty-seven million. Wow. 31 of those, 31 million, still profess to be followers of Jesus. So you've lost a lot that just kind of abandoned God when they abandoned the church. So that, there is that big chunk of people. Okay. Uh, but when I asked him about the survey, I said, when you ask people, did you ask, just ask them if they identified as Christian? Did you ask Jesus followers? I know a lot of people on this journey who don't call themselves Christian anymore because Christians come to mean something politically that kind of turns their stomach. Mm-hmm. They'll confess to being a Jesus follower. And I asked him, so I don't know if that 31 million is accurate. That 31 million is people who have left a, a normal Sunday morning gathering, traditional congregation, but are still identified as Christian. I think that number's bigger, because I think there's people who've left that don't identify as Christian anymore. Okay. And there's 31 million who still attend. This is American statistics. That's one-seventh of the population still attend a Sunday morning gathering regularly. There's 31 million passionate believers, followers of Christ, self-identified Christians who don't. So it's half and half at the moment. Wow. Well, I mean, I don't, I don't think most people would realize that. Um, no, they don't. They feel all alone when they when they leave something. And there's the, and the research showed there's another 7 million 
who are what they call PIBOs, present in body only. They're, they're, they're nearly <laughs> done, but they're still there because of family or reputation or business issues, but they're not engaged with that whole Sunday morning delivery system anymore. Sure. Well, with, with that many people having, having left, still being there and not really engaged or not you know, really wanting to be there almost sometimes, what when you in your own journey and those around you that you've seen kind of stepping away from the institutional um, version of church, uh, you know, it seems like there's some fear. I don't know if the fear would be just ingrained from society or kind of the culture you people that grew up in church would feel, but it does feel like if you step away from the institution that there would be this sort of you know you're a you're a heretic walking away do you even believe in god anymore are you you know you're just a you know we're back to that hippie word again but yeah. um you know what's what's hippie <laughs> word <laughs> like so you say you people so you didn't grow up in a religious tradition like that no i say okay, you people wow. probably as uh, no i completely did um yeah i kind of call myself a recovered recovered baptist and um okay. now i'm just sort of a spiritual mutt these days but uh, <laughs> uh yeah i definitely understood the the strong cultural context three church three times a week uh yep. you know clip on tie every every week you know <laughs> like yep no i no i know the game so yeah from so i'm asking that from a okay from a personal side as much as i am for others as well the um yeah that sense of like wow you're the people you're in relationship with it seems like they feel a sense of rejection when you when you say hey i'm feel like i might be moving into this broader space it feels like it's a threat somehow to people, and I'm just wondering what your observations on that might be. Yeah, I think it's a crazy time, internally, externally, because if you've been really embedded in that whole way of doing it, even to make the decision to stop going, which I encourage, don't make the decision to stop. I'm never going to be part of that again. I, I'm, I, I, we make bigger decisions than we need to make. I, all we really need to do is just say, that's not working for me right now. I'm going to see what else God has for me. And if we told people that, I think we'd run into less of the conflict that we kind of foment with. I'm not doing that anymore because that's wrong <laughs> and that's destroying people. And then we create this big thing. But the conflict is also internal. I, I mm -hmm. got my approval by jumping through those hoops, by being on Sunday morning faithfully I was better than people who didn't that that's how mm. internally I was connected to those things yeah so the the conflict and the guilt and the accusations are both external yes yeah, some people feel like you're not a part of the church if you don't attend a Sunday morning service regularly and I that's said all the time are you going to hell if you don't that's a, there's an article we read about that not too long ago <laughs> uh, yeah. so there there is that uh, attack from the side of the only way to be part of the church is to attend one of these corporations. Mm. And I, I think that's dead wrong. Mm. But internally, there's also the, I got my identity there. I got my sense of value there. I got my sense of relationship with God. I was a good Christian because I went there. Now I don't go. Now if I'm home on a Sunday or I'm doing something else with people, what does that say about me? And does God still love me, accept me? Am I okay? There's also all that internal. It's a great time of chaos and i mean great time because things get to settle out that are really true and it takes time it takes maybe a year or two mm. for people to settle out and find out what's really god in my life and what's just guilt what's religious performance and what is resting in god's provision and love those are the big ticket items that don't settle out with you know reading a book or going to a seminar it's you and the holy spirit sorting through what's real for me, what's real for him, and what's just a whole bunch of performance crud and false identity that I got caught up in. 
And I love how that has to sort out for people. It's a it's a horribly disillusioning time. People don't like it. It's painful. Mm. Friends who used to be close to you now don't talk to you and don't invite you to their kids' weddings because you're a danger now that you don't go. There's all this stuff that goes on, mm. but in it, underneath it, the Holy Spirit is inviting us into the difference between what's real and not real. Mm. And that is lovely, but it's painful. It's excruciating. It takes time. And a lot of people just don't want to take the time, so they just kind of jump back into something that kind of gives them the identity and the feeling of achievement again. Mm. And then they'll come to the frustrations and leap out again, and then fears. <laughs> it's a crazy time. Yeah. But it's so good if people get through it. It's so good to realize I am loved. God is with me. He does have family for me to connect to. The bride in the world, the church that Jesus is building in the world is a magnificent, beautiful thing. Mm. And I get to be part of that with people who aren't caught up in the money and manipulation and all that. And it's it's a ball. So I hear you say, I mean, it really can be a, an unsettling experience when people, again, we're back to that whole relationship with inside that's inside the institutional church where all of a sudden you feel like you're trying to step closer in your relationship with God and you use the word dangerous and, and now people are treating you as if you're a threat. Um I'm not sure a threat to what, maybe their way of doing things, maybe if their identity is wrapped up in their in their attendance of church, maybe it threatens their identity by you stretching yours. Um, but it is, so I hear you saying though, for those people that are, you know, on the edge there of like, you know, you got that fear of people telling you you're kind of off the reservation, but then I hear you in your experience saying there's a lot of other people out there that to connect with and you're not rejecting the the institutional church, but you're just um, stepping into a broader space. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's not always easy to connect with those people because it's easy to go into a town and say, you know, where are the churches and fellowship groups and go and hang out and meet people. Mm -hmm. And then when you're not going to the place where p people who have a passion for God connect, it can feel alone for a while. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the Holy Spirit has a great way of connecting people. So over time, I, th I think the first thing you'll want to sort out is you're putting people in the place of me. Religion often does that. I don't hear from God very well, so I'm looking to people, I'm looking to their approval to kind of ascertain God's demeanor towards me. So I'm actually using what we call the church as an idol. It's filling a place in my heart that God never got a chance to fill. So I know a lot of people like this for six, eight, nine months, they don't meet anybody and they're all frustrated about, no, I'm not fine. I'm saying, you know what? God just wants you for himself for a time. That's often true. Hmm. Because you can't have a healthy relationship if you're asking people around you to fill the God-sized hole in you. Hmm. you it, it just won't work. You'll end up manipulating people, and you'll be hurt by people, and you'll be disappointed. So it, when God fills that space, and that takes a season, mm -hmm. then you come alongside other people, not because I need them, and I've got to get something out of them, but because God's put gifts in my life. There's people here to love. There's packages of treasure to open in people's hearts and lives. And then relationships don't become the thing I need. They become the blessing God adds to my life. And mm -hmm. so that's all part of this process, too, that people often miss. Well, Wayne, I know in my own journey— um you know, growing up in a pretty religious context, I always believed that God loved me um, because he was God. He pretty much has to. I think that's part of the de definition. Uh, but my journey that I didn't even know I was on was this deep question of does God like me? And uh, I just didn't I didn't believe that the answer to that was yes. Um, yeah, it was like he loved me in spite of his every reason why he why he shouldn't. But he does anyway. He's just that nice. Um, 
But in order to start stepping out into this like relationship you keep talking about, um, it seems like there has to be this, you know, this confidence and trust of what God's heart really is like towards you. And um, I'm wondering where you've, how long did it take for you to begin to trust God's heart in your own life? I mean, I know you were serving him in a, in a pastoral sense, but you know, in the depths of your heart, when did that start for you? Well, I've always had, I mean, back to I was nine years old, I've had moments when I just know I'm loved, but those moments I felt like I somehow earned it Mm -hmm. or would now be able to earn it. Um, So I've had moments like that, but they were few and far between in the whole frustration of pastoral ministry and trying to get things to work that don't work in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, But to really, what you said, the difference between loving and liking, I... That's a, that's a great word because I think religion, we made fun of sloppy agape, you know, love's not a feeling, love's a commitment. And we've we actually taken this beautiful word love at, that, that really in a marriage, it would be pretty cheap. I just said, Sarah, I don't really like you, but we're committed <laughs> to be in this relationship. I mean, that's not going to go anywhere. Yeah. To me, to find out that God actually enjoys his creation as broken as it is. And I wrote a blog recently, the Westminster Confession from 600, 300 years ago mm-hmm. was a chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But do we ever contemplate the other side of that? For me to enjoy God, I have to know that he enjoys me. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we've actually played that out enough. We mostly have God's mostly disappointed at us, uh, maybe willing to tolerate us now and then. But to think that God enjoys me more then my, I had my three grandkids over here yesterday, and my three grandkids, I'm, I'm not one of those fake grandparents that thinks those kids are perfect. They're not perfect. <laughs> they can be selfish. They can be deceptive. They're, they're, they're normal people just growing yeah, up. Yeah. But I am endeared to those children. I enjoy them, even if one of them is pitching a fit about something. Uh, it's I'm going to help them get out of the fit because the fit's not going to help us at all. But I don't find them any less endearing when they're being a six-year-old kid because that's what they are. And I think God has the capacity to love us for the person he really created us to be, knowing we're like little children living in a broken world. And so we're broken, but the brokenness doesn't make us less endearing to God, makes us more endearing. It'd be like if you had a four-year-old with cancer. You would The cancer wouldn't make that child less endearing. My goodness, your heart would break even more for what they, who they are and walking them through that. And I think that's the way God views us. That's why Jesus could say they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't see humanity as co-conspirators of sin. <laughs> he saw us caught in a broken creation, and he came to redeem that which he loves, which is all of us. Yeah. No, I know for me, it's helped so much when I think of um, when people are doing things that hurt you, um, when you th- when you see them believing a lie, you know, that somehow they think that trying to assert control or or whether yep. it's, you know, whatever the, the fault or the the um, offense might be, that somehow they think that's going to help them. Um, when I'm able to see it as like, wow, they're the ones hurting, it, it makes it easier to to uh, love someone even when they're not maybe behaving the way you hope they might. Uh-huh. Yeah, and we as adults struggle with those same things. We're we're just better at not pitching our fit in a demonstrative way. We're we're better at couching it as hurt or whatever. That <laughs> still seeks to manipulate the people we're near. So I just find it endearing that uh, God can enjoy us even at our most broken. And it's only in the that's why I use the word affection a lot because love mm-hmm. gets distorted into I don't know if he loves me. Uh, he might love me, but he doesn't like me. Affection is more of that reality. God has affection for us. Mm. 
Uh, even when we're struggling, even when we're doubting, even when we're hurting, even when we're sinning, he has great affection for us. Mm. And religion didn't teach me that. Yeah. Hey, Wayne, I got a question. I was um, the one of the um, the institutional church, if you will, uh, that that Jody and I were attending for a while. Um, they uh, became aware that I'd spent years in um, youth ministry and working with adolescents and of course, everybody's always looking for more, you know, volunteers to work with the teenagers. And so I was meeting with a guy that, that was on staff there. And, and uh, you know, we're, I mean, I kind of felt where it was going. It was like, hey, how you doing? You could feel the, feel the ask coming about if you wanted to, you know, serve and invest in the lives and all this. And before we got there, I just said, hey, um, by the way, do I'm, you know, I'm not an official member here. I just didn't know if that's a part of it. And it was like... Well, yeah, you are. You do have to sign the covenant, you know, to become hmm. <laughs> to become an official part of everything. And, and I was just sort of covenant. What are you What are you talking about? And, well, you've got to commit to submitting yourself to the to the leadership of the church and and this and that and and um, and I know I've heard you talk about that before, but I just that's not something I'm interested in in um, being a part of. I'm fine being with these people, but I found myself wanting to invite uh, this person away from the whole kind of control punishment uh, mentality. Um, yep. But it didn't really seem, I really found myself at a loss of words. Really, in the end, I just kind of, I kind of laughed a little bit at the covenant. And I think that kind of threw this person off. They weren't sure why I would laugh at something so important as a covenant <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> to uh, serve that local church. But um, but uh, I just, I didn't really have much in the tank to, to offer them, to invite them away from it. And I'm just wondering if you've found anything helpful. How do you, how's it worked for you when you're trying to invite people to a broader space? I mean, is it, have you found an easy way to do it? Or is it just one of those things, it happens when it happens? Or Yeah, I'm pretty much on the page of it's the Holy Spirit's job to disillusion people with those systems. As long as they think they're valuable, as long as they've got a covenant to sign, I'm not going to be the one to sit down and say, you know what, your covenant is just anti-Christ. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. wouldn't, you know, because they're not going to listen. Um, and I've known people to try and say, uh, just in gentle terms, just, you know, that covenant thing, God doesn't need that. Mm. Institutions are about conformity. Conformity is about manipulation. A covenant's a, uh, an aggressive tool. Most most congregations wouldn't have a written covenant you have to agree to. Mm. But I think what people feel who are finding freedom is to sign this covenant is to deny a sense of freedom. And I don't mean selfish freedom. I mean, I put someone else, something else in the place of God in my life. I've agreed to be faithful to you, even if God is asking me to do something different. And I, I think that's why people respond to it. People who need those things signed I can't see beyond it. They just can't. Mm. until something happens in their life that maybe they get resigned someday by their best friend co-pastor kicked out by a board <laughs> there, there there's things that happen to people that are are pivotal moments for the holy spirit to just begin to say i've always had you hungry for something other than this you've done this because you think you have to and and most pastors who do have covenants and things that i've talked to they're, they're mostly no yeah i know this isn't the best but we have to do i mean there's got to be an accountability and Ugh. all that's corporation language because you do yeah. have an accountability to the institution to do certain things right. and i just think it's crazy talk but if you think the church is an institution first you're going to get lost there I think only the Holy Spirit knows how to convict people, which is why Jesus said, look, I'll, the Holy Spirit will do the convicting. He'll convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So really, you don't have to do that. You do the loving. He'll do the convicting because every time I try to convict, 
it seems to always come with condemnation and shame. Yeah. And the Holy Spirit knows how to do it without those things. Mm. And so I'm, I trust that to him. Mm. And I find so much right now in my life, I've got so many people, hungry people coming at me who want to understand how to live this way that I don't have time to convince people who don't want to live this way that they should. Yeah. I think they'll come around in time. Okay. So there is, there does seem to be a space here like this. There is a, you know, we talked about it takes a year or two even just kind of decompressing from if you're accustomed to institutional life in that way um, and then easing into that space where as you, as you operate in freedom, um, then other people begin to maybe start to see that and the invitation becomes a little more natural. Is that? It will. I, I would change it a little bit from operating in freedom to operating alongside the Holy Spirit in your life, which to me is right. ultimate freedom. But I think when we hear freedom from a pretty carnal mindset, it just means, oh, I just do whatever I want, do whatever feels good to me, I just do that. And my life isn't that way. Mm. My life is I'm free to follow the Spirit, and as I follow Him best I can, and that's through a glass darkly, as Paul said, that's I don't yeah. get that right all the time or even most of the time, but where those fingerprints of God are in my life and I see what freedom really is and freedom from the tyranny of me, freedom from Mm. the tyranny of what Wayne wants for himself that isn't what God wants, that to me is freedom and yeah, it becomes more and more natural. It becomes a way to live without thinking. It's not getting up every morning, I gotta do this, I gotta keep this in mind. It becomes the freedom to live alongside him knowing that if he's got something for you, he'll nudge you in some way and hopefully becoming more sensitive to those nudgings. Yeah, because I suppose everybody's always free, right? From the time they're, from the time they grow up, they've, they've always been free to do whatever they want. But I I hear you saying they're just free. You, you learn that you learn about your freedom and learn to submit it then to, um, or like you said, come alongside of, of the Holy Spirit and, and enjoy life to the fullest at that point, right? That everybody's always selling, um, so. Yeah, I, I hear so many people who are the, you know, accused people of the hyper grace stuff. They're always saying, boy, freedom, just you just people doing whatever they want to do, whatever makes them feel good. I'm going, dude, you don't know what freedom is because that mm-hmm. that sounds like bondage to me. Doing whatever I wanted to do and whatever felt good to me didn't yeah. lead me to life. It led me to death. Mm-hmm. So freedom in Christ is freedom from the control of others, freedom from having to sign covenants. Yeah. It's the freedom to follow him not just the freedom to do whatever you want to do. Yeah, and I like if people do exercise, could you do whatever you want? Sure, but yeah, I don't think that's try it out. I don't think you're going to find that very helpful for your life, but you know, nope. if, if you want to go for it, give it give it a go. See what happens. You're free to. Yeah, yeah. The, the whole thing in the garden was you're free to sin. The parable of the prodigal tear, yeah. take the money, go. Do whatever it is. Yeah. Get it out of your system if you have to, but I'll be waiting here for you when you realize that stuff doesn't fill you up. That uh, stuff just rots you out from the inside. Oh, yeah. Well, Wayne, um, I appreciate you giving so much time to me. What I I would ask, you know, with fearless questions, we're always, you know, we're always talking with people about people try and tame their doubts, you know, and um, you know, we say that perfect love casts out fear, but we also like to talk about perfect fear can drive out love, and it's you know, it's hard to love things you're afraid of, and yeah, I just, absolutely. I just wonder what kind of questions, you know. What are the questions you wish more people were asking when you kind of get around the country and you're talking to people and in and outside the church, just Americans in general? I mean, what what are the types of things you wish you would hear, the types of questions you wish people were asking? Uh, well, and I would say the kinds of questions I love the most is when we move away from issues and get down to personal life. It's my doubt about God's love for me 
rather than having a theological argument about is God a lover or is God a judge. It's it's when things turn personal and people open up a little bit of their struggle, their struggle with sin, their struggle with uh, appetites and desires they don't know how to control, their struggle with emptiness of relationships and not not feeling loved, not feeling that they have anyone in their life that has given them worth as a person outside of performance. And so it's really not questions that I think are like, you know, podcast questions you'd ask somebody. Right. I get those all the time. I get tons of the other kinds of questions. I really love when somebody opens up and says, I, I doubt God right here, or I, I'm trying to fast and pray for my friend, but I, and I'm going to take a month to do that. But do, do I really, if I fast and pray for a month, will is God guaranteed to give me what I want? And I just love those kinds of questions because now we're right down into where life works. Right. And, and the other ones are not value-less, but I think these are far more valuable when people open up their life and expose themselves and... Yeah, it seems where the rubber hits the road a lot more, doesn't it? Like, it's one thing to talk about what we believe, but what do you really believe in your gut is a different thing quite often. Yeah, and and the appropriateness of those kinds of conversations I'm talking about usually are not in a room full of 25, even 30, 40 people are people going to open up their lives that way. It's going to be more in a conversation with two or three where they feel safe enough to go, well, Wayne, what do you really think about this? Or, you know, then then we're into a much better conversation. But I, I get that those are not public questions for, for most people because you expose some weakness in most environments and you're going to get judged or abused or gossiped about or yeah. something. Yeah. You need to know that you're safe enough that this person can handle my fear, my doubt, my I'm not even sure God exists because if God existed, wouldn't he have done this when I prayed for you know, and it's not some selfish thing. It was a very unself. Would, would God? I'm not even sure God exists on the planet. Mm. Great, let's talk about that. I, yeah. I think we get to expose all of our doubts, all of our fears, and God gets to make Himself known. It's God's job to win us into His love. It's not mm. our job to achieve it on our own. Uh, what a great, what a great visual. Um, yeah, I really, I appreciate your posture on all that. That's, um, I'm very, very much in step with that. Well, look, Wayne, I, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us and um, just for sharing your heart. It's been fun, Jeff. It's and, been fun to connect with you again. I yeah. really appreciate you doing that. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll talk sometime soon. Okay. All right. See you, Wayne.